Let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 1, the first chapter of Revelation, and take up a verse there to get us started this morning on thinking for a few minutes about the kingdom warfare that we face being part of Jesus Christ's kingdom. I have been exposed to churches in my past that thought churches ought to fight communism. Churches ought to fight some international conspiracy. Churches ought to fight abortion clinics. And they get all distracted with their windmills. Because those things have never been a threat to Christianity. Those things usually make better Christians. That's not where Christians are to be, is firebombing abortion clinics or standing in parades on streets around clinics or having sermons about communism. We have a, There's a war, and the Bible tells us about that war, but it is a spiritual war. And the victim of that war is not going to be some woman with the intelligence of an ostrich that is destroying her young. It's going to be you and me if we let the devil gain a foothold in our heart and soul. So we need to put on the whole armor of God and fight kingdom warfare for the sake of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I can, These are the simple thoughts I want to leave you with in, in a few minutes. God has entrusted us with the kingdom of His Son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have a high duty to protect that kingdom, to defend it, and to promote it with all our might. Not only is it a duty, it's a great privilege. And it should cause us to be on our guard individually that we would be fit citizens of that kingdom in order to build it. Because the kingdom is built one stone at a time, one soul at a time, one member at a time, one citizen at a time. And together, we are part of the, an organizational segment of the kingdom of heaven. That is a local church. The local church does not equal the kingdom of Jesus Christ directly. The local church is an organizational form that meets the eye of the kingdom of Jesus Christ that extends into heaven and in earth. All in heaven and all in earth are under Jesus Christ. His authority reaches into the depths of hell. All the devils and all the angels report to Him. But it's His local church that He has ordained to be the organizational structure for how His citizens function on earth. And so we want to build our little church. We want to keep it with all our might. We want to keep our souls, our marriages, our families because we have been blessed by the grace of God to be members of His kingdom. As we look at what's going on in our nation, it's very discouraging. The ignorance in high places. But what we can rejoice in is that we have the Lord Jesus Christ ruling over a holy nation that we've been made part of. I don't pledge allegiance to the flag. I have no allegiance to the flag. My allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a stranger and a pilgrim here. I pay my taxes so that we can fly flags. I pay my taxes so that we can run 60-ton M1 Abrams around the world. I do the things that are required of me. And if the situation arose where we had to take up arms to defend our nation, which we're not doing right now, but if it did, we would defend it. However, I'm a stranger and a pilgrim in this earth. I'm a stranger here 
Because I'm not related to an American citizenship. That's what makes me a stranger. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were strangers in the land of Canaan because they weren't related to the Canaanites. I'm not related to Americans. They have an entirely different lifestyle and thought process and worldview than I do. I'm a stranger in this nation. I'm a pilgrim because I'm only passing through. I'm only here temporarily. They have everything they've got is wrapped up in America. Nothing that I've got of value is wrapped up in America. The things I have of value are wrapped up in the kingdom of heaven. And I hope that we keep that perspective. And if we can get that in a few minutes to resist the devil, he will flee from us. He does not like opposition. And he especially doesn't like opposition in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who has already made an open show of him on the cross. He is our Savior. He is our head. He's the cornerstone. He's the bishop and the shepherd. He's the pastor of this church in every way that matters. And so if I can stir you up to resist the devil a little bit more, even in matters that I've already mentioned this morning, then we can be better citizens of the kingdom of heaven. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, John writes and says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John was banished by the Roman government to the isle of Patmos for being a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he writes these seven churches of Asia and tells them, I'm your brother and I'm your companion in tribulation. You're enduring tribulation, so am I. And he says there in the middle, and I'm in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. When we follow Jesus Christ, there is the privilege of being in His kingdom. And there is also the suffering of following Him and His cause. There's a privilege of being citizens. And there is also the burden and the price that we pay for being in the tribulation and suffering that He endured in life. He is not going to let us get to heaven without learning a little bit of His sufferings. The Apostle Paul would say in Philippians 3.8 that it was very important for him to know Christ, to know His sufferings, the power of His resurrection, a changed life, and to the hopefulness and cheerfulness with which Jesus endured suffering, the Apostle Paul wanted to do as well. We are in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. We have to endure the temptations of our flesh, the opposition of the world, and the wiles of the devil while we're here. But it will soon end. Because as we just sang, the Lord Jesus Christ is soon to conquer all enemies, including the three I just mentioned. He's going to get rid of my flesh, destroy this world, and cast the devil into the lake of fire prepared for him and his angels. That's the glorious hope and future of the gospel. But for now, we're kingdom citizens on earth, which makes us strangers and pilgrims here. I'm a stranger. I'm not related to them. I'm a pilgrim. I'm just passing through to my real home. My home is not where the buffaloes roam. My home is where the angels roam. Amen. The buffalo roam. Can you believe it? Somebody was smoking too many peyote buttons that wrote that song. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and see Paul's ministry. If you read the verses that I put in the preparatory email yesterday... The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 28, when he was given occasion to preach to Jews, 
he spoke of the things concerning Jesus Christ and His kingdom. Because the kingdom of Jesus Christ is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are not deluded into thinking that the kingdom of Jesus Christ was postponed for 2,000 years and will finally come to earth in the form of the millennial kingdom where they can have animal sacrifices and Jesus sits on some piece of wood over in Jerusalem, Israel. We're not deluded with any of that. We believe that Jesus Christ has been reigning since He ascended into heaven and took His rightful place at God's right hand on the throne of David and He's going to reign there forever. There's no doubt about that in the New Testament. It's stated to you about 20 times that He's been promoted far above all principalities and powers and every name that is to be named. And He is sitting on the throne of David. He has the rod of iron that God has given Him and He's dashing the nations in pieces. What a great king. Amen. And though our, our nation may fall to pieces, the nation that I am a citizen of, and I swear my allegiance to in the fullest sense, will never fall to pieces. Right. Because it's the kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Right. When Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar the sense of his dream that he had in Daniel chapter 2, he showed that Nebuchadnezzar was that head of gold, the most illustrious kingdom the world had seen. And then it degenerated into inferior metals as it came down through the Persians, the Greeks, and then the Romans. And each one of them was successively destroyed by the following one. But then he said, there's going to be a kingdom set up on earth that shall never be destroyed. Amen. And it's the kingdom we're members of. Amen. So let them ruin the blessings they had by the hand of God in this nation, we are members of a nation that shall never be destroyed. And do you know how wise our king is? In him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I love serving a king like that. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul said these words among others. In verse 10, 1 Thessalonians 2.10 Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Amen. This is the ministry. This is Paul, like a good dad, sitting his children down and showing them a great example to begin with, and then charging them and exhorting them and comforting them that they would walk worthy of the family. But in this case, it's the Apostle Paul exhorting the Thessalonians to walk worthy of God, who's called us to His kingdom. Why are we in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ? If it wasn't for Jesus Christ and the power of God translating us from the kingdom of the devil into the kingdom of His dear Son, Colossians chapter 1, we would still be out there in the kingdom of the devil and happy that we were there. By the grace of God, we're in His kingdom. And by our obedience to the Son of God, who is the high King of heaven, we're in that kingdom. It's a great privilege. John the Baptist burst on the scene in Matthew chapter 3. With that prophecy of Daniel chapter 2 in your ear, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Because the God of heaven had set up a kingdom 2,000 years ago in this earth. 
It replaced the kingdom of Israel. It's the kingdom of the New Testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of David reigning and the sons of David dying and having successors, the final son of David is sitting on the throne forever and we are members of that kingdom. But there is a war going on against that kingdom. It is a minority in the earth. It is a persecuted remnant in the earth. It is hated by the world. It is hated by the devil and your flesh hates it. And yet you have been privileged to have been chosen to be citizens of a holy nation, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. By His grace. Thank you, Lord. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom, let us have grace. Whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. That is how we want to live because we've been made citizens of the heavenly kingdom. We Gentiles, we were without God and without hope in the world. We were outside the covenants of promise. We had nothing. But now we're fellow citizens and heirs with the saints. David is our brother. We're citizens of the same kingdom David, Noah, Abraham, and the others are members of. They've just gone before us to our final home. And we're going to own heaven and earth. And we're going to walk in it and live in it and dwell in it. And the Lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. And we're going to worship the Lamb. I can't help it. When I say the word glory, the promoters of that boys game that's being played this evening, the Super Bowl, I believe they've got Bruce Springsteen to be their entertainer at halftime. And he's going to sing about glory days. And every time over the past couple of weeks I've heard about glory days in light of the Super Bowl, I've got offended and I've got angry. Because there's no glory in the Super Bowl. But there's a great deal of glory in Emmanuel's land because the Bible says the Lamb is all the glory of that place. And it's a shame if Christians think upon the glory of something like the Super Bowl and miss or dilute the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You want a hero? Listen. Those quarterbacks on their best day, their very best day, with glue on their fingers, with years of practice, can throw that little piece of pigskin 70 yards. Wow. My Lord Jesus Christ spoke the worlds into existence and upholds them all by the word of His power. Amen. He's glorious in everything He did. You know I've preached recent, in recent weeks about the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we want to delight in Him. He's our King. Right. And for those of you that enjoy spectator sports, and I do from time to time, let us before the God of heaven keep them in their proper place. They are a distraction, and they are a tool of the devil, unless we rule them with our might. They will take us off of our love of the Lord Jesus Christ because there will not be one spiritual thought even implied except we all worship the devil. They will not promote the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have this conflict, this war going on for our souls. The warfare that we're in is a warfare for our souls. To love the Lord Jesus Christ above all else. John introduced the kingdom and men pressed into it by violent repentance. Look at Matthew chapter 11. Let's never forget these things. 
These are simple things. These are elementary things. But these are things that are glorious. These are the things that should move us and direct us every day. Matthew chapter 11, verse 7. Let me read to you a few verses. Matthew eleven seven, And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if ye will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. This is Elijah the prophet from Malachi chapter 4 that most people who read their Bibles cannot figure out. And Jesus said, if you've got ears to hear it, then understand that John the Baptist fulfills Elijah the prophet from the last two verses of the Old Testament. But this great man is the one that announced the kingdom of heaven and men took it by violence. The violence necessary to take the kingdom of heaven is the violence of repentance and a changed life. In Luke 16.16, which is the corresponding account by the Gospel writer Luke, he said, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. Because it takes pressing to get in. Because the gate is straight. And the way is straight. And it's not the wide gate and broad way that leads to destruction, but it's the straight gate and narrow way that leads to life. And you've got to press to get into it. And this is what the Bible teaches us about the kingdom of heaven. Men took it by force. They repented and changed their lives and pressed into the kingdom of heaven. There is a threat to that kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that threat is first by the devil who hates Jesus of Nazareth. The man Christ Jesus, according to Luke chapter 11, when he was on earth, had power over the devils. He once cast the devil out of a man, and the Jewish unbelieving crowd stood around and said he did it by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of the devils, Satan. Jesus said, how could that possibly be? In Luke chapter 11, if I'm casting out devils by the power of Satan, then Satan's kingdom is divided, and how can it stand? Because Satan's kingdom will stand until his kingdom is cast into the lake of fire. He is not so divided. They are bent on one mission. Destroy the testimony of Jesus Christ in this earth and do everything they can to destroy the remnant of those 
who have the testimony of Jesus Christ and keep His commandments in the earth. But the Lord Jesus Christ said when a stronger man comes, He's able to raid the palace of the strong man and deliver those who were captives of the devil. Thank you, Father in Heaven, for sending the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus was on earth, He had power over devils. The devils would come and run and fall at His feet and worship Him. They knew He was the Holy One of God. It didn't matter whether there was a legion of them in a man. They still fell and worshipped the Lord Jesus Christ. The devil-possessed man in Acts chapter 19 said, I know Jesus, but who are you? Because Jesus Christ is the conqueror of the devil. But the devil hates him for it and is doing all that he can while he is allowed a little bit of freedom to destroy the churches of Jesus Christ and the saints and followers of Jesus Christ. Thankfully, the Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ did not take upon himself the nature of angels, but he took upon himself the nature of the children of Abraham. He took upon himself human flesh so that he might destroy the works of the devil. The devil got our first parents in trouble in the Garden of Eden and brought eternal condemnation upon all of us. But the Lord Jesus Christ taking flesh upon Him again, He is the seed of the woman from Genesis 3.15, died on the cross, having His body torn and His blood shed for us, that He might destroy the works of the devil. And the Bible says by His cross, He made an open show of the devil, triumphing over them by His death on the cross. That's in Colossians 2, it tells us that. In Revelation chapter 12, it tells us when the man-child, the Lord Jesus Christ, was caught up into heaven, there wasn't room found in heaven for Jesus and the devil. The devil had been able to access heaven until that time. He was able to bring railing accusations against men like Job. But once the Lord Jesus Christ arrived, according to Revelation chapter 12, there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought, and the devil and his angels fought, and there was found no more place for the devil and his angels in heaven, and they were cast into the earth. Jesus had prophesied that in John chapter 12, when he said, if I be lifted up, I'm going to bring about the judgment of the devil, and he's going to be cast out. And he was cast out. What in the world would he say in heaven now against any of God's elect? The Bible says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth, and it is Christ that justifies. And so the chorus breaks out in Revelation chapter 12. Now is come salvation, and the kingdom of our God, and the deliverance of our brethren. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, who accused them before God day and night. The Lord Jesus Christ won that victory. Do you know how incensed... The devil is at the fact that a man, the man Christ Jesus, who is also the Word of God, the man Christ Jesus came into heaven and threw him out. And so he's making every effort that he has, knowing he has but a little season, to make war with the remnant of the woman's seed, the church that brought forth the man-child that was to be our Savior. And so there's war. And he chases that woman and makes war with the remnant of her seed to keep the commandments of God. And we, by the grace of God, seek to keep His commandments. Therefore, there will be spiritual warfare against us as the devil seeks to defile us and corrupt us and divide us and blot our testimony so that it is not effective in the earth 
and it doesn't lift up the glory of Jesus Christ our Savior. We are at war, and the first enemy we have is the devil himself. The Lord Jesus Christ has him bound from deceiving the nations like he once did. So that the gospel went into the four quarters of the corners of the earth, and the gates of hell could not prevail against it. There were men converted all over the place. The ministry of Paul recorded for us in the book of Acts is testimony of that fact. But he shall be loosed again for a little season, and he shall gather the nations together, and they'll come up and encompass the camp of the saints. And that isn't some war with M1 Abrams or guns. That's a spiritual conflict when he's going to encompass the camp of the saints to try to do us in. And we are going to fight by living a righteous life, a peaceful life, and a joyful life in the Holy Ghost. Because we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. He that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. He's already been defeated. But He still has enough power to throw fiery darts at your heart and your mind. And there are verses in the Bible warning us about how we're to fight the good fight of faith against the devil. But what a privilege. What a privilege to be in Christ's kingdom. What a privilege to know of this great spiritual conflict that is entirely outside the eyes and minds of all worldlings. The United Nations can meet and discuss their little tiny skirmishes that don't mean a thing in the history of the world or in the history of the universe. They're absolutely nothing. They are absolutely impotent to make peace on earth. And the skirmishes where they try to make peace are a joke. They don't even know about the conflict we're talking about. We're talking about a conflict at the highest levels of authority and power in the universe. And it doesn't even include the government in Washington or the Kremlin of the former Soviet Union. It's the principalities and powers and thrones and might and dominion of the devil and his angels. But there was war in heaven, and he was cast out. Because there's not enough room in heaven for the Lord Jesus Christ and the devil. And so the devil is cast into the earth, and he's going to make war with the remnant of her seed. Since he couldn't destroy the Lord Jesus Christ by moving Herod to kill all the baby boys in Galilee, he couldn't destroy the Lord Jesus Christ by having him crucified unjustly on the cross of Calvary, because God raised him from the dead. He defeated the death that he thought claimed all of the human race. Because that's what he got us into in Genesis chapter 3 when he said, Thou shalt not surely die. He lied to get our first parents under the power of death. And death has reigned ever since, except grace now reigns by Jesus Christ our Lord. And we're members of that kingdom. We, we are members of a nation that has the cure for death. That, is there anything in you that gets excited? Amen. We're members of a nation that has the cure of death. The Lord Jesus Christ has cured death. When your body dies, praise the Lord for that event. That's what contains the sin that is still in your members. Praise the Lord for that event. All you're going to do is depart this earth to be with Christ. And get rid of this body, and soon we'll have a glorified body in heaven. The world hates the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 5.19 tells us the whole world lieth in wickedness. And it hates Jesus Christ. There's nothing the world offers to tell us about Him, remind us about Him. They use His name in vain. They mock Him. They call a mass of the Catholic Church Christ Mass. Our Lord Jesus Christ was never part of any Mass. 
They associate his resurrection with Easter bunnies bearing eggs and sunrise services. The world hates the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. They crucified him when he was here. They would crucify him again if he was here. And anyone who takes a stand for him, they hate him as well. As the Apostle Paul and so many others have found out. Brethren, the Bible warns us about the enemies of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, that there will be enemies inside the kingdom. Evil seducers shall wax worse and worse. Deceived and deceiving. In 2 Timothy 3.13. And so we've got much opposition to defend the kingdom of Jesus Christ that He has entrusted to our care. But brethren, the one enemy that I want us to care about the most today is your own heart. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, let's look at a few verses there that warn us about our danger to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We must keep our hearts with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Out of your heart comes every issue of life. And we need to keep those hearts with all diligence. Not a little bit. Not from time to time. Not just when we hear a stirring sermon, which you'll seldom do here. But it's to keep our hearts with all diligence all the time. We can never give up as Christians. We can never relax as Christians. The word that should guard should guide Christians is vigilance. Jesus would say to His apostles over and over, and I say unto you, watch! Watch! For ye know not at what hour the householder is going to come and ask an account of what you've done with what He's entrusted to you. And I say unto you, watch! We need to be vigilant. And the vigilance... The Lord's done our victory with the devil. All we have to do is put on the whole armor of God and resist Him and He'll flee from us. The world we can ignore and not be friends with it. But what about inside us? We need to keep our hearts with all diligence. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, I keep under my body. We would say that today I keep my body under. I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway, that I would be a permanent disgrace upon the kingdom of Jesus Christ. King Saul was one of those men. King Saul had the opportunity to be a great king of Israel. But he did not keep the commandments of God. He did not keep his heart with all diligence. And the Lord withdrew his spirit from Saul and gave it to David. And though Saul tried to repent to Samuel, it was too late. He was a castaway. He ended his life at the feet of the witch of Endor. And then suicide on the battlefield. Directed by the devil himself. Suicide is self-murder. He murdered himself on the battlefield after going to a witch the night before. A castaway. We don't want to be anything like that. We've been entrusted with the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and so we keep our body under and we bring it into subjection. 
So anything that your body tries to get you to do that is contrary to the Word of God, we rule it and say, I will not do that. We'll get up on time. We'll go to bed on time. We will guard any use of wine or strong drink. We will guard our relationship with anyone else. We will guard our eating of food so that we're not guilty of gluttony. We do not want to do anything that would bring disgrace upon the kingdom of Jesus Christ or that would lead to us being castaways, a permanent disgrace against Christ. The devil wants us to do that, but we cannot do it. And so we have a fight every day of our lives. Do you want something that calls for great diligence, but has a great crown at the end? Then let's fight the good fight of faith. Let's finish the course that Jesus Christ has given us. Let's keep the faith. If we're belly worshipers and we mind earthly things, then we are the enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, today, brethren, today some of you are going to be tested today. You're going to be tempted today. Are you a friend of the world? Or do you use the world without abusing it? Are you going to let that world entice you today? Before your head hits the pillow tonight, will the Lord Jesus Christ of glory, the King of our kingdom, the President of our nation, our spiritual nation, will He know that you love Him more than you love the NFL? How will you show Him that? How will you show the Lord Jesus Christ that you love Him far more than you do the NFL? I'm not your enemy. I'm just the enemy of everything that takes you off of loving Jesus Christ like you should. Amen. I, I face the same temptations that you do. But when I go to bed tonight, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to know that I love Him, His kingdom, His ways, His words, His commandments, His lifestyle, and His worldview that's been taught me in the Bible is more important than anything that they believe or do. Pick the most ferocious player that's going to play in that game today. And I'm going to tell you what he would do in one nanosecond after meeting the Lord Jesus Christ of glory. His loins would be loosed. And he would know that everything he ever did in his life and fought for is utterly vanity. Let's remember all those things. Otherwise... We face a war and we have very weak flesh. And we will give in to our flesh. And the devil will take advantage of us. And if we give him a place in our lives, he will take us down so that we are not the successful living epistles of the Lord Jesus Christ that we should be. And as he takes us down one by one, this church will turn into a carnal cesspool and be nothing more than so many other churches who do not live the holy lives that they should in honor of the Lord Jesus Christ, their King. Help us to that end, Lord. Amen. Let's defend it. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Let's defend Jesus Christ's kingdom. Each of us start with ourselves. You know, the world wants you to think that you're defending the kingdom of Jesus Christ by going and passing out leaflets at an abortion clinic. Let the children of the devil kill the children of the devil. God's never called us to do that. 
If our government gives you an opportunity to vote against abortion, then we'll vote against it. But we're not going to go take any social causes like that into our hands. The apostles and the Lord Jesus Christ never did such a thing. There's far more important battles to fight. You know, it's so amazing. There'll be people that will go and stand and, and pass out leaflets at abortion clinics while they lose their own children that don't fear the Lord because they didn't bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Because it's a whole lot easier to go pass out leaflets at an abortion clinic than it is to sit down with your children night after night after night and teach them the fear of the Lord. And to bring every issue in their lives back to what does the Bible say? That's fighting the good fight of faith as a parent. That's believing in childbirth. That's believing in children. Listen, there was infanticide being practiced in the Roman Empire in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ, but He didn't say a word about it. It was being practiced in the days of the Apostle Paul, but He didn't say a word about it. Let the world do whatever they want to. Let them bow down to their graven images and let them burn their babies to their false gods. We have a fight to take. And it's, we're told what, it's in the, what it is in the Bible. Right. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, he's getting to the end of the epistle, and there's been so much preached on this passage at another time, and I would encourage anyone who wants to really see this again, go back to Ephesians chapter 6 when it was preached several years ago. For we took these phrases one by one. But listen to the words. Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. This is a choice. Be strong in the Lord. Choose to be strong. Choose to put up a fight. Choose to make war against those things that are trying to steal your soul. Choose to be strong in the Lord. Because where where does our strength come from? It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the power of His might. He's got plenty of might. Paul would say, when discussing the issue of contentment, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. He did not use those words to describe His power to raise the dead, or to heal the sick, or to speak in other languages, or to prophesy. He used those words to describe how He had learned to be content. Because that's the power of Christ in Paul. And we need the power of Christ in us to be strong in the Lord. Are you tempted to be upset at your wife or your spouse? Are you tempted to eat too much? Are you tempted not to guard your mouth so that filthy speech or foolish talking or jesting comes out? Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Choose to do what is right. Choose to put up resistance. Choose to fight. And the power of the Holy Ghost will enable you. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. These are the ways that you can stand against the wiles of the devil. He is a defeated foe, but in your flesh, he is more than a match for you. He can take you down in moments. If the Lord leaves you like he left Hezekiah, as we studied last Sunday, you'll go down. You'll go down immediately. Hezekiah went down immediately. When Jesus let Satan have Peter, Peter went down immediately. In a few hours, Peter reversed his course entirely and denied he ever knew the Lord Jesus Christ. When God left David and let Satan have him, he numbered Israel immediately. 1 Chronicles 21.1 But there is armor that you can put on and you can stand against the wiles of the devil. He's a wily creature. But you can oppose him. He was subtle in the Garden of Eden. But we have the truth of the Gospel. We know what's a lie. 
when He speaks it to our hearts or minds, or we read it in print, or we hear it from a worldling, or we hear it from a false seducer. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, verse 12, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That does not mean that if we, or, that if we elected a Muslim to be our president, that we have spiritual wickedness in high places. This spiritual wickedness in high places is devilish wickedness in the high places of authority in the unseen spirit universe of the angels of God and the devils of hell. That is our warfare. Do you know how I know that? Because it says it doesn't involve flesh and blood. Everything in the second part of that verse is all spiritual. It is not flesh and blood. Our enemies are not communists. Our enemies are not Castro. Our enemies are not abortion doctors. Our enemies are not President Obama. Our enemies are not Supreme Court justices that vote for abortion. Our enemies are devils that are out to destroy us because they hate the Lord Jesus Christ and His followers. There's a war going on that no one else sees. But we know about it. It's one of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But it's revealed to us. It's an enormous conflict. It's been going on for 6,000 years and it will soon be brought to an end. It's a great conflict. And we get the privilege of being soldiers in this battle. And here's the weapons of our warfare. They're not carnal, but they're mighty. And with these wep- with this armor on and using these weapons, we can stand in the power of the Lord and the power of His might and we can resist the devil and we can keep intact the kingdom of Jesus Christ in this world. We very well could be in that little season, that short space of time, when the devil will deceive the nations again and bring them up against the camp of the saints. Doesn't that excite you? Oh, then how do we fight it? Do we get a radio program or do we guard our hearts? Do we get a television program or guard our lips? This is the armor that we're to put on right here. Take unto you the whole armor of God in verse 13 that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. There are days when the devil brings greater evil against us than others and there is an evil day coming which I just described to you two times where we want to be able to stand. The devil is not omnipresent. He can only be in one place at one time, although the hosts of hell are very organized and they obey his commands. But he cannot be in all places at once. So there's greater evil and lesser evil at various times and various places with various men. But in the evil day, we can still be able to stand if we have the armor of God on. What is the armor? Or let's, verse 14, we st- we're still getting, we're still getting the encouraging remarks of Paul about standing. Stand therefore. In verse 14, having your loins girt about with truth. Every aspect of truth that we have been shown, we want to defend it with our might. We want to be men of truth. We want to provide things honest in the sight of all men. This is not all doctrinal truth. This is living a truthful life. This is speaking the truth. This is thinking the truth. This is defending the truth. And it concludes teaching and preaching the truth. And fighting against heresy. But we cannot allow a single lie that we know is a lie. Whether we say it, we hear it and allow it to be said to us, or we allow someone to believe it when it's a lie. Because a lie is from one source. The devil himself. 
So we first of all stand having our loins girt about with truth. Now I have told you before that when we go into Ephesians chapter 6, the last thing we need to worry about is each piece of armor. I'm not going to bring shields in here. I have shields. I'm not going to bring swords in here. I have swords. I'm not going to bring helmets in here. I have helmets. Because that is a waste of your time. That is childish ignorance. They would worry about that because if you'll read the New Testament, you will find that these pieces of armor are interchanged all over the New Testament. Faith in one place is a shield. Faith in another place is a breastplate. Righteousness in one place is a breastplate. Righteousness, on the other hand, is something you have on the left hand and on the right hand. Because that isn't the issue. To waste any time talking about Greek or Roman pieces of armor is a waste of time. Talking about which pieces of the body it's protecting isn't important because that's used, um, used variously in the New Testament. What is at stake here is the word truth. Truth is important because a lie is from the devil. So everything we do should be based in truth. Whether it's on the job, in the church, what we preach doctrinally, and what we believe doctrinally, or what we say and believe and hear personally and practically. Truth. And then having on the breastplate of righteousness. That is doing what is right as defined by God. Do right. As God defines right. That's right in your marriage. Right on the job. Right with your finances. Right with your neighbor. Right with the government. Right with your speech. Righteousness. Because if you're always doing what is right, as God has defined it, the devil can't get advantage of you. It was Eve who thought about what the devil said, that she could go ahead and eat something that God had said she couldn't eat. And if we're always doing what God has said, then the devil can't get us to do something God has said we cannot do. And it's when we do something we should not do and cannot do that we sin, and we give the devil a place in our lives. Righteousness. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Feet get prepared for going into battle and covering hard surfaces by their feet being shod. You can ignore all that. That's part of the metaphor. What's important here is peace. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the message that rules in His kingdom, is that we all live at peace with each other. We're peacemakers. We make peace. Of course God's made peace with us. That's not the issue here. That's not something you put on. God has already put that on. This is peace. We have peace in our marriages. Peace in our homes. Peace in our church. Peace with our neighbors. The Bible would say, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Because that is a virtue of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Verse 16. Above all. This is more important than the three I just mentioned. Taking the shield of faith. Faith believes whatever God has said. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Though we haven't seen it, that doesn't bother us a bit. We still believe it. Jesus, As I told you last Sunday, Jesus told Thomas, Blessed are those that have not seen and yet believe that I am He. We didn't see the creation of the world, but I don't care if one million scientists tell me that the, worth, that the world came into existence by evolution. I know they're all nutcases. Because the Bible tells me that God created the heavens and the earth. And I believe that. So if we're always believing what God said, then the devil can never cast doubt into our hearts. Taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The devil comes along and throws a fiery dart. God hasn't really forgiven your sins. So how do we respond to that? 
We say, as it is written, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we take the shield of faith, which is believing what God has said, and we know that our sins are forgiven because we confess them to Him. You say, well, how can He, how can He forgive them so easily? That's a fiery dart from the devil. I'll tell you why He can forgive them so easily. Because His own Son shed His blood for our sins. That's how He does it. It's through the precious blood of Christ. And we lift that shield of faith whenever there's a doubt. Or anything that irritates us, thrown into our minds. I'm just a failure. I've messed up. My children are lost. I should have done a better job as a father. I've just blown it. That's a fiery dart from the devil. The Bible tells us in Joel chapter 2 that you can restore the lost years of the canker worm if you'll repent. Paul said, I forget those things which are behind. Do you think Paul had a few things behind him to worry about? A few more than you? And he blew them all out. Forgetting those things which are behind, I press forward. And so we, we take the shield of faith and we shut down all those false thoughts. Well, if, if I just submit to my husband, if I submit to my husband, or if I just forgive people when they wrong me all the time, they're just going to take advantage of me. But the Bible says God is your defender. Amen. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So up goes the shield of faith, and we say, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to bear a grudge. I'm going to be happy. The shield of faith. Above all. I wonder why that's there. Do you think it may be important? Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. This is the devil's tactics now to throw little thoughts into your heart and into your mind, but you can defeat them all with the Bible. And take the helmet of salvation, knowing that we have been saved and he cannot take that salvation away, nor can anyone else. We have an eternal home in heaven that he cannot touch. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We take the Bible and use it like Jesus did. As it is written, as it is written, as it is written. In Matthew chapter 4 and Luke 4, when he opposed the devil. And then what activity should we be engaged in? How often? Does it say that? Does it say praying always? With how much prayer? All prayer? and supplications in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with how much perseverance? All perseverance? And praying for how many of the saints? All saints. If we were praying always with all prayer, and watching unto that prayer with all perseverance for all saints, do you think we might be a better church? If we were all praying all the time with all perseverance for all that are in here? That's the activity. Do you know who you're praying to when you pray? The God of heaven. Do you know who the devil is to the God of heaven? Just one of his little creatures. Right. There's the power. That's what we ought to be doing for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. My dear brethren, when you go to bed tonight, will the Lord know that you did pray with some perseverance and some supplication, and you did not squander the Lord's day doing something else that is entirely on the opposite side of the ledger.
You know, the Bible says, give no place to the devil in Ephesians chapter 4. And you know what context that's in? Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Because the devil is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. If you harbor, if you harbor the smallest amount of wrath or anger, bitterness, grudge, it's from the devil. James 3 tells us that. If you harbor that, it will take over your soul. You have given a place to the devil. You have said, devil, come in and use me. I will destroy your kingdom. Come in. Come in and use me. Because I'm angry with the brother. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. How in the world could Cain kill Abel simply because Abel's sacrifice was accepted? Because the devil got a hold of Cain and worked up a little bit of anger, envy for Abel's superiority over him and the fact that Abel's worship was superior to Cain's worship and so Cain killed his own brother in cold blood. Your flesh hates the kingdom of Jesus Christ and so the Bible says make no provision for your flesh. If there's something that tests you and attempts you and pulls you away from Jesus Christ, then avoid it. You're not going to lose anything by giving it up. You're going to lose everything if you don't give it up because it will eventually steal your soul so that you will not love Jesus Christ as you should. We want to promote the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ as much as we can. You know, we want anyone that finds out about us to believe that there is hope for scattered saints that will see our love of each other and our love of Jesus Christ and delight in it. I love 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the last five verses, that describe, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord in all places, so that we don't have any need of saying anything. Because whenever we meet them, they tell, of us, they tell us exactly what kind of entering in we had unto you and how that you turned from idols to serve the living and true God. That testimony and reputation for the church at Thessalonica had spread worldwide. Throughout the part of the Roman Empire that Paul traveled in, everyone knew about the Thessalonians. We want that. Not for our praise, for His praise. We want that, that we can give hope to others, that there can be a kingdom of Jesus Christ that lives in peace and loves the Lord Jesus Christ and follows the commandments of the Bible as closely as possible. Much more could be said. Brethren, it has been well said by someone, only one life, it will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. And that is so true. We're in Jesus Christ's kingdom, and it's only the things we do for Him that have any lasting value or lasting effect. And may the Lord see our effort to do those things. Do you understand and accept the duty that we all have in His kingdom to defend it, to put on the whole armor of God and to stand and to promote it? To make our church as good as we can make it. Not in numbers. That's the, la- that's the least thing we want. But in quality of pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. When we've done everything He wants us to do, all we can say is we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Duty. Duty is so much more than shining your shoes and making your bed in the morning. Duty is putting on the whole armor of God and defending the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And it starts right here and here and here and in our homes, our marriages, our children, our jobs, and eventually gets into this church. But we start with ourselves. The Lord can take the kingdom away from us. He took it away from a whole nation. 
And he warned Gentiles in Romans chapter 11, Be not high-minded, but fear. If I'm able to take away the natural branches, how much more can I take away you unnatural branches that don't belong in it? Christians can never give up. We can never relax until we reach our long home. We are at war. Can't relax until you get home. Until you've been put on leave. And you know what? We're going to be put on leave for eternity. In our eternal home. In the Bible it's called our long home. May the Lord bless us to do that.